millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Across the UK, online and on DAB Digital Radio. Women's Football Weekly with Faker Others. On TalkSport 2. All the action, excitement and drama from across the entire women's game. Nikita Paris is running into the air, it's still Nikita Paris left-footed. World-beating, big-match conversation on the station that's raising the game for women's football. We're loving it, we're absolutely loving it, it's brilliant. Women's Football Weekly with Faye Carruthers on TalkSport 2. Hello, hello. Welcome to Women's Football Weekly with me, Faker Others. We're still here giving you fully up to date with the latest news in the women's game during these uncertain times. This week, Bristol City manager Tanya Oxtoby will give you her thoughts on what should be done with the rest of the season. Could women's football be hit harder by coronavirus than originally thought? Molly, Molly Hudson from The Times has all the details. And your player of the week is England and Manchester City defender Gemma Bonner. Women's Football Weekly with Fake Carruthers. Hi, I'm Carly Telford and you're listening to Women's Football Weekly on TalkSport 2. Hello there, how are you all doing? Well, I hope, and if you've seen it already, I hope you've been getting involved with our question of the week as well, because today we're asking, who's your football childhood hero and why? Is it Kelly Smith, Cristiano Ronaldo, maybe John Terry? Or like me, perhaps it's Faye White. We want you guys to get involved, so tweet us at TalkSport2. We'll use the hashtag TSWFW and we'll read out your tweets throughout the show. Uh, now, obviously, no actual football, but that does not stop us talking about it and always plenty of developments to discuss as well. Molly Hudson from The Times always has her finger on the pulse. How are you, Molly? Still finding plenty to write about, I expect? Yes, yes, there's uh, plenty of uncertainty, which gives us plenty to write about, I think. Yeah, isn't there just? I mean, the biggest story of the week, really, this week, came on Friday when FIFPro released a paper uh, warning that women's football could be hit much harder by coronavirus than the men's game. I, I think that's something most of us kind of predicted, but because it's coming straight from one of the leading player associations, how concerned should we be about it? I think it's exactly that, what you've said there, there, Faye. I think a lot of us have probably discussed it. I've certainly written about it and you've certainly spoken about it on your show, but it's the fact that it's come from a global players' union that really kind of highlights the seriousness and probably shows to a wider audience really the, the reason we have so so many worries about women's football. Obviously, a lot of the, the infrastructure isn't as big as the men's game, um, quite simply because it hasn't been around as long, particularly it hasn't been as professional. And also we know that, you know, the salaries and, and the contracts in particular are often short term, which obviously makes them a lot more vulnerable to the idea of finishing a season at a different time than what you'd normally expect. So I think actually it was probably a positive that this negative story came out, if that makes sense. It kind of probably showed everyone that this is actually the reality of the situation. Yeah, it totally makes sense. And you, you touched on it there, but the paper outlined specifically the lack of worker protections, calling on stakeholders to pay for the damage that coronavirus is doing to the women's game. Just how much financial damage do you think is being done? I think it's very difficult because it isn't just financial damage. It's, you've got to remember we're, we're still riding on this wave you, you was out there at the World Cup with myself and, and a lot of other journalists and we've we've seen how much coverage has grown and how the at attendances, you take Chelsea, for example, who were really building a, a really good fan base at Kings Meadow. Manchester United have come into the game and, and done similar. 
And yet now it's it's just kind of got to this standstill and suddenly you're not riding on that wave anymore. And that's what's difficult because, yes, clubs weren't, weren't well, many clubs weren't making a profit still, but they were building towards something. It felt as though we was really making progress. And that, I think, is the biggest thing that the, the FIF Pro uh, report outlines. And it's all of our worries is that actually it's the progress that we were making that was building to something better that we have to make sure that that doesn't stop. Yeah, I I want to play you the thoughts of former England goalkeeper Rachel Brown-Finnis on this because she spoke to TalkSport's Jim White earlier in the week about the social and financial impact of coronavirus on the women's game. Have a listen to this. The pandemic that's happening right now across the entire world has put women's football in the football uh, perspective from a business point of view from a viability point of view has put it up there because some people and certainly 10 years ago 15 years ago women's football would have just been like right we can't afford it there it goes and we saw clubs go into insolvency clubs like charlton years ago um when the men's team got uh, relegated the women's team just got pushed to the wayside and, and vanished uh, but we're yeah. in a different realm, we're in a different place as far as under the FA and at international level as well. The platform that international competitions give women's football, I think the players have re- recognised and realised that it is a platform to have a voice, sometimes on a political level. All the work that's been done so far has got us to where we are now across the world. If we were to suddenly say, right, we can't afford women's football or, you know, it becomes secondary to uh, what we've stated in the past as to what our vision is for women's football and we're just going to get rid of it, then it's really 10, 15 years of work that has just been binned. They cannot afford to do that. And that's not me as a women's football fan. That is for all the social, the economic impact. You know, we're talking professional clubs that employ, you know, 10, uh, 20, 100 people uh, at women's clubs, uh, as well as, you know, the hundreds of millions of pounds that the FA has put into not just the national team and all the, the youth structure uh, that has only been recently implemented you know, in the last 15, 20 years, uh, youth structures have been set up, as well as forming the Women's Super League, which, as I said, is only in its second year of professional status. Rachel Brown finished there, former England goalkeeper, speaking to Talk Sports' uh, Jim White. Uh, you're listening also to the thoughts of Molly Hudson from The Times. I mean, Molly, wh- why I love uh, Rachel Brown finished is that she does put positive spins on everything. And as she says, you know, women's football is being part of the conversation and that's crucial. Of course. And I think Rachel's right in the fact that if if this crisis was maybe... 10 years ago or, or maybe even five years ago, we'd, we'd probably be in a very different position in the way that we're talking about women's football. Of course, now these clubs are professional and and that means that to some extent, cl- players, particularly in the Women's Super League, do have that little bit more stability. They're not part-time. This is actually their livelihoods now. And I think that in itself is a positive. And as Rachel says, we do have to look back and see how far we've actually come. But then also you've got to look to the future and, and you hope that this pandemic doesn't prevent clubs from investing further. I, I spoke to Paul Barber, the chief executive at Brighton, who we know have done some amazing things with women's football and really backed the team, obviously with Hope Powell in charge, the former England manager, and they've had to pause the construction of their women's and girls hub. And they're not sure when they'll be able to to continue working on that now. And obviously everything like that is just, it, it's just added pressure and struggles where you're trying to build the infrastructure that the men's game already has obviously the women's game is very much building towards that um so you just have to hope that the financial impact on men's football almost isn't too bad and that the season gets back up and running and eventually we know it'll be a long time maybe behind closed doors now maybe even into 2021 but as long as those men's clubs are stable we know now that they're committed to looking after the women's teams yeah, and that's really important. Um, what has kind of uh, gone, not unnoticed, but certainly slightly more under the radar perhaps than the financial implications, of course, is the social implications uh, as well. And FIFPRO today have released findings suggesting that the number of footballers with symptoms of depression has doubled since the lockdown. 22% of 468 female players asked said that they showed uh, what seemed to be symptoms of depression. And that's something that, that is very important to highlight of course and i think to a certain extent male and female players will will be going through all of the same struggles the fact that they're so used to being in a team environment they're so only used to seeing their teammates every day and that social interaction 
we know how much to, for all of us that's that's been very different while we've all been isolating and we haven't been in our offices and we haven't been able to see people in that way but also you have to add on to all of that that women's players often aren't in as secure position financially so you know they've still got bills to pay they've still got everything else on top of all of that which is an extra psychological stress and pressure whilst they're trying to you know worry about when the season might end and how they might keep fit and all of that which we which we've discussed so i think it's really important that once again as rachel says the positive is that now there is support for women's players they are able to access psychologists. They have club departments that have been really good and really supportive. And there are a lot of the women's Super League clubs on top of their check-ins for training. They've also been checking in with players for their mental health because we know we know how important that is now. Yeah, it's really important. We're going to be speaking to Bristol City manager Tanya Oxtoby about that later as well. Obviously, her background is in sports psychology um, as well. Uh, to something a bit more positive, though, England women collectively, the Lionesses have started a Players Together Fund. So the whole of the Lionesses squad making a collective donation, uh, partnering together with Premier League players to support the NHS. I mean, that's just fantastic, isn't it? Exactly shows how important players are as role models in society. It's incredible, and I think it's even more incredible when you consider that, that these players aren't as rich as you, you might expect. They're certainly not as rich as, as the Premier League footballers, and I know Phil Neville has been a big backer in this in making sure that, that women's football did its part, and, and it's really important that they've all come together in that way. I mean, I was, I was speaking to Jill Scott um, last week, and she was talking about how, how much they're aware of the part they have to play in making sure that the game it still contributes, it's still still in the public eye. And obviously she's been doing her obvious Jill videos, but each oh, of hilarious. the players are really <laughs> playing their part. Yeah. Did you see the one where she walked into the door last week? <laughs> They're brilliant. They're so, so brilliant. And she was saying that she's been sending signed uh, signed photos over to the ones that, that have done the best at her challenges. And it's just just really lovely way to, to keep interacting with the fans. Yeah, I mean, we're going to be speaking to Manchester City's uh, Gemma Bonner uh, later as well. I, I spoke to her actually earlier on today and uh, she was talking about the uh, Citizens um, Hub that they've got as well, which is fantastic. And, and keeping in touch with fans is, is crucial during this time. It's so important. I think, uh, as myself and Jill were saying, it's something that you almost take for granted in the women's game. You take for granted how good the access is to players, how they're able to speak speak to the players after games and on social media. And that's something where they're really taking that one step further now because they're not having to do it. They don't have to see fans at a game, and yet they're still taking on that role of being a role model and still interacting with fans. And I think each and every one of the Lionesses is has been producing some really great content for their social media channels. And I know that both the clubs and, and the FA have been really good in that. Mm. We have a piece of actual football news as well to discuss very quickly. Manchester City forward Janine Becky signing a two-year contract extension. We're getting excited about this when normally we'd be like, oh, that's nice. And they would just be, you know, dropped in <laughs> randomly. <laughs> yeah, it's wonderful news. And actually Manchester City have, have nailed down a lot of their really key players, which is really positive news going forward. And I think Janine Becky, particularly this season, I mean, we've seen several times she's she's filled in as a right back and she's shown how versatile and how important she can be for the team um, anywhere where she needs to play. So I think she's actually become probably a really underrated part of that Manchester City team and getting her to um, extend her contract is, is really positive news. Absolutely it is. Uh, finally, Molly, we're asking everyone today who their favourite uh, football childhood hero is and, uh, and why. So who's yours? I think in women's football, it has to be Rachel Yankee. I just remember just seeing her do things with the ball that I'd never really seen a female player do. And she, she certainly inspired me to, to get involved in playing the game and, and watching it. And still, I, I see her now at some events and I'm still a bit starstruck. <laughs> I, I was with her. I, I think I was saying this on the show the other week. Actually, I was with her at, um, at a women's event uh, last year and she was just such great company. And as you say, an absolute hero. Thanks so much for joining us, Molly. Uh, Molly Hudson, writer for The Times there, um, a regular here on Women's Football Weekly, always up to date with everything going on in the women's game. You are listening to Women's Football Weekly on TalkSport 2. I'm Faye Carruthers. 
listeners. If you missed any of our shows, by the way, you can catch up by downloading our podcast. It's available on Spotify and iTunes. And today's show is going to be available to download from 4pm on Tuesday. Uh, next, though, do FAWSL managers think the season should be finished? We'll be speaking to Bristol City's Tanya Oxterby. Women's Football Weekly with Faker Others. It was a goal that set her career alive. On TalkSport 2. This is TalkSport 2 and you are listening to Women's Football Weekly. I'm Faker Rothers. Thank you for being with us. Today we're asking, who is your football childhood hero and why? Here are some of our tweets so far. Thanks so much for sending them in. Mickey Robson says, Peter Beardsley. I'd watch his goals on video from the first spell at Toon as a kid every day. I will... Little Peter runs like a cheetah going up. Magical player. Uh, Natalie says, Sir Alex definitely and all the class of 92. Phil says Paul Gascoigne, the one English player at that time that made the game look easy. He most certainly did. I still have a very fond memory of Gaza from the 1990 World Cup, showing my age a little bit there. Uh, the England team arrived back at Luton Airport and then I'm from Luton originally. They drove around uh, the town and Gaza was right at the front. Shirt up, tongue out, classic. Still got that photo at home, brilliant. Uh, join in the discussion if you like. Tweet us at TalkSport2 or use the hashtag TSWFW and we'll read out all of your tweets throughout the show. Uh, now, every week during lockdown, we're aiming to bring you a WSL player and a manager to keep you connected with the women's game. This week, we're checking in with Bristol City's Tanya Oxterby. Always a pleasure to speak to you, Tanya. How are you doing? I'm good, thanks. How are you? Yeah, very well, thank you. It seems like forever ago that we had you on, but it was only January. Everything's changed so much since then. Uh, when we were having those conversations before and after, we were properly chewing the fat. Uh, we could never have thought football would be in this kind of situation. Um, how are you coping and how are your players doing? Yeah, it's a strange one, isn't it? Not only the weather's changed, but obviously all the, the circumstances have as well. And um, we're, we're all taken, I think, one day at a time and... It's a difficult one because I don't think there's a manual um, with how to deal with it. So, uh, yeah, good days, bad days. Um, and I think for the players, it's just about reading the situation, um, you know, as best we can and adjusting as best we can to make sure that they're in a good place. Yeah, that's all you can do, really, isn't it? It's interesting you say about them being in a, in a good place. What's Bristol City been like in terms of uh, support? Yeah, I think, um, you know, as a whole, um, both on the, the men's and the women's side, um, you know, my, Lee and myself have been in contact and sharing ideas and, and getting an idea of what each group's doing. And um, I think we're both in agreement. It's it's around just reading the situation, like I said um, previously, and every group's going to have different um, individuals within it. So um, it's about making sure that we've got, um, you know, our arms wrapped around those um, players and making sure that we can... Um, adjust as needed and the club's been brilliant in, in that regard. Yeah, uh, something perhaps fans didn't know about you that we, we discussed when you were on the show uh, a few months ago. You're also a sports psychology coach. I mean, has that extra knowledge helped you be able to support the players a bit more, not just obviously with their physical health, but also their mental health? <laughs> you have to ask them that, I think. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think, look, it's it's one of those things I'm obviously quite... I'm, I try and be quite mindful of it. I try and... Um, read between the lines a little bit because again you know we don't go seeking um you know conversations around kind of their mental health directly but it's just reading the situation and um tone in their voice you know body language on zoom things like that sometimes when they don't reply to to messages as quickly as you would like little little things like that and again that comes back to knowing your players and what's normal for them um and just adjusting as you can um as best you can really because uh hands are a little bit tired it's not like you can go and have a coffee with them and kind mm. of um you know and, and really get, get get that support face to face so it's just around thinking of different ways to make sure that they've got what they need and and taking into consideration their circumstances because every player is a little bit different yeah i mean thief pro um, I've just been speaking to Molly Hudson from The Times about this. FIFPRO releasing findings suggesting that the number of footballers with symptoms of depression has doubled since the lockdown. Um, they they gave some numbers out. 22% of 468 female players asked globally. Um, it, it must be tough, you know, when you're in a team environment and you're used to being in a, a team environment. I mean, lockdown's difficult for everybody and everybody handles it in, in slightly different ways. But when you're used to that team environment, it must be very, very different. 
yeah, I think, you know, athletes like structure, don't they? And they're used to having um, daily contact with their teammates and um, having a routine. And when that's all kind of turned on its head, um, it can be really, really difficult, not just for the players, but for the staff. Um, I think, you know, the staff get lost in this a little bit as well because, again, you know, we, we go above and beyond, in particular in women's football, don't we? Um, mm-hmm. You know, I think when that all grinds to a halt and you're trying to um, think of things to do outside of the box, that can be really, really difficult. Um, so, yeah, it's a tough time for everybody, but it's about being vigilant and, um, you know, adapting and going with the flow a little bit as best you can. Yeah. As you say, each individual player is different. We've spoken to lots of people about, you know, using uh, Zooms and WhatsApp groups and stuff. What, what have you been doing with the players to try and keep them engaged and make it a little bit more fun rather than, you know, quite quite low and depressing that it can be? Yeah, I think, um, you know, we, we're trying to um, read the situation as best we can week to week, not be too res- like too um, regimented with what we're trying to do. And one of the things we've got is a weekly quiz, which I haven't won yet, so I'm really quite annoyed about that. I think I'm going to start pulling out because surely you should let, like, the gaffer win. I'm sure that that should be part of the rules. Um, but, <laughs> but, yeah, we've got, we've got like, weekly quizzes and, and um, a couple of other things that we're just kind of we're, we're doing just to make sure that the players are interacting and that's not always um, business, you know, tactical things and, um, you know, their physical um, training programs and stuff like that. We want them to just, just enjoy it and have a laugh and also have a little bit of downtime to themselves as well. I think that's really important with their families. Listen, when you've got a competitive team, you cannot expect them to let you win just because you're the coach. It doesn't work like that. I won, I won the I won the cake bake-off and they still didn't give it to me because they're like, we can't let you in. So I'm, I'm just devastated. I'm never going to win anything, I don't think. What did you make? Um, I, we called it uh, the we called it the uh, the sugar overdose cake, basically. It was a sponge and it had um, M&Ms inside it and then extra layer of um, chocolate on top of that. And, and it was it was horrendous. You could only have a spoonful of it. And, uh, it, yeah, it wasn't great. I don't know. I reckon I could probably have more than a spoonful yeah. of that, to be honest, quite quite easily. <laughs> sugar I mean, on top of sugar, basically. <laughs> but at least you weren't sending it to the players. Because how strict are you having to be with them? Because cause obviously we don't know when football is going to be able to resume. Is this almost seen as off-season at the moment? Um, it's a tough one. I think when it first, when lockdown first started, we went quite hard um, on the individual um, training programs, and we we got some feedback from the players. Um, you know, especially when lockdown was extended, that that was um, really difficult for them in terms of um, self motivation, and they were feeling really, um, you know, mentally exhausted. So we we've, we've we've brought that back a little bit. We've built in some downtime for them, um, a little bit of a break, and then we'll start to build them back up again. So I wouldn't say there's a an off season uh, vibe in our camp, but everybody is very different. So I think there's a lot of clubs doing things, you know, differently because again, there's no manual to to kind of this situation, I guess. Yeah, no, no manual and no end date in sight. No. So, what what's your opinion on on what should happen? I mean, you know, do you think the season should end or try and finish it in like a six week period, like some reports are suggesting, whenever that might be? Yeah, it's a t- it's a tough one. I think um, the, the situation is forever changing. Um, so, my opinion probably, you know, three weeks ago is very different to now. Um, what I'd say is I think the FA are doing a good job at trying to consult with the clubs and get their opinion. Um, and whatever decision we make, I think, has to be player-centred. Um, you know, it has to be for the, for the good of the players and make sure that we're, um, you know, we're not putting them in jeopardy, um, both through this period of, you know, getting them to train, but also when we return. Um, and then I think just the league integrity as well, they'd be my two my two things that we'd have to keep in mind with whatever solution we come up with. But I certainly don't envy, um, you know, the decision makers because at the moment um, it's forever changing and it's very, very difficult to get a, a gauge on kind of when, if and how um, we're going to return. Yeah, it kind of feels a little bit damned if you do, damned if you don't, doesn't it? They're, they're, they're in an unenviable position, that's for sure. But I'm, I'm glad to hear that the FA are consulting with clubs a lot and, and getting everybody involved because down the lower tiers there was quite a lot of upset and unrest about about cancellation. I mean, if it had to be voided, what are your opinions on that? Look, I think um, we're at that point, you know, or we, we might get to that point where that's going to be on the table and we have to seriously consider that. Um, I think I think given the situation that we're in, um, people's lives are more important. So, yeah, we love football. You know, yes, it's our jobs. But at some point, 
we have to be a little bit realistic about the situation that we're in as well. And if it does get to that point, I think, you know, everybody that's involved will understand that. Um, it doesn't mean that everyone will be happy about it, but, you know, we've got to kind of um, accept that that may, may be um, something we have to consider in a couple of weeks or months' time. So it's one of those things, again, I don't envy decision-makers at all because you're never going to make everybody happy um, and everyone's going to have an opinion. So... It's, it's a really, really difficult one. It is a difficult one. It's one, as a Luton Town fan, I've been asked by many people. It's slightly easier for me to answer as a fan, bearing in mind uh, where Luton Town are in the championship table, but bearing in mind you're in a relegation fight. Slightly unfair of me to ask, bearing in mind you're a coach, <laughs> but, you know, that would kind of help you out of a hole, but I suppose you'd rather do it yourselves. Yeah, I think, you know, from you know since Christmas, we've really, um, I think, dug our heels in and... and um, We've got a number of players back from injury now and we turned the corner, I thought, with our Birmingham performance and, and obviously the win. So we'd really like to be in a position where we can, um, you know, be the the makers of our own destiny. I think that, you know, if if we could have it anyway, it would be that way. But again, like I said, um, the players' safety, you know, the community safety is what's most important and we'll have to support whatever, um, you know, the experts sort of um, guide us on, I think. Yeah. Finally, Tanya, I'm asking everyone today who their favourite uh, football childhood hero is and and why. C- can you think of someone? doesn't have to be a women's footballer, especially because we're slightly older, so we don't have as many to pick <laughs> from. Uh, but who was your footballing h- hero when you were younger? Yeah, I think it's got to be Harry Kuehl. Um, You know, he's he was one of a kind um, Australian, Australian legend, um, you know, when he was playing at Leeds and and Liverpool, um, I thought, you know, I thought he was amazing. And he was probably one of the only people we saw um, growing up in Australia, you know, with the Premier League on on the TV over there. We didn't really get a lot of championship football or anything like that. So, um, yeah, Harry Kuehl's definitely up there for me. Excellent. I thought you were going to say Mark Viduka then. Oh, he'll be devastated, but no, unfortunately not. <laughs> <laughs> Tanya, it's always an absolute pleasure talking to you. I wish you all the very best, and hopefully we'll see you in the studio again soon when uh, when lockdown is over. But take care of yourselves, and, and best of luck to you and your players. You too. Thanks very much. Cheers, Tanya. This is Women's Football Weekly with me, Faker Others, on TalkSport 2. That was Bristol City manager Tanya Oxtoby there. If you miss any of today, you can catch up by downloading our podcast. We're on Spotify and iTunes. Up next, we're going to be heading to Manchester, though, to speak to your WSL Player of the Week. Women's Football Weekly with Faker Others. Hi, I'm Gemma Davison from Tottenham Hotspur, and you're listening to the Women's Football Weekly on TalkSport. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary.
This is Women's Football Weekly on Talk Sport 2. I'm Faye Carruthers and today we're asking you who your football childhood hero is and why. Uh, Thomas says Brian Robson, never seen a more complete footballer since. Dale says Peter Osgood, I was young, impressionable and he scored a fair few goals in an exciting Chelsea era. Don't be shy, get involved. Tweet us at TalkSport2 or use the hashtag TSWFW. Let us know yours and we'll read out the rest of your tweets at the end of the show. Uh, now, as I said earlier, every week here on TalkSport2, as well as managers, we try and keep you connected with the players too. And earlier on, I caught up with Manchester City and England defender Gemma Bonner, who's doing very well in lockdown. And we started by chatting about the new Citizens at Home website, which has been launched by Manchester City, where fans of all ages can go to learn individual football skills and take part in plenty of football challenges. I think it's obviously difficult for everybody. So I think the club are doing really well at trying to obviously lift spirits and give people something to look for. Um, but yeah, like you say, they've got they've got meal plans on there. They've got skills challenges. They've got training videos that you can watch, um, colouring for kids, whatever it is, you name it, they've probably got it on there. So from a club point of view, um, they've been brilliant. Although for us as players, we can't have the contact Um they're providing everything they can for us as players, but also for the fans as well. And I think it's really important at a time like this. Yeah, the colouring packs was what uh, jumped out at me, if I'm honest. I, I love that for a little bit of mindfulness, a bit of colouring. Oh, <laughs> yeah, you, have, you know, I'm finding I'm kind of finding new things that are keeping me occupied and I'm quite enjoying um, not necessarily having such a structured routine if you like um and you, you i guess you kind of learn new things um Go so on, what quite, have you been learning well I've, to be honest i've been doing a lot of baking um which has pleasantly surprised me that i'm enjoying it so much um but i've i have to admit i've done some coloring as well um i'm getting into jigsaws so yeah i guess in this time we're probably doing stuff most of us that we've never really thought we would do before um so no i've I've been trying to keep myself occupied, um, obviously in different ways. Yeah, I, I, I'm I'm a bit of a jigsaw fan as well. I'm trying not to get that out yet because I've got to be productive with other things and I know I'll just get distracted. But you say you've been baking. I mean, I was flicking through some of the players' meal plans on there. You've got Aguero's avocados, Steph Horton's spicy turkey burgers, Tessa's toasties, Georgia Stanway's chicken fajitas, no Gemma Bonner's banana bread. Oh, my, I mean, I post mine on Instagram um, when it's a good one. I've not posted that many because there's been a quite quite a few not-so-good ones in there. But, um, no, I think the the group for us on the women's side, we're, we're really good. We've got um, a little WhatsApp group and every night somebody has to put on um, what they've had for their dinner and how they've made it and they have to show picture evidence of them um, obviously making the meal. So, for us, it's a bit of a... I guess, light-hearted way and you've got to nominate somebody else. So I'm still waiting for my nomination on the group. Oh, um, what's been most impressive what? so far? Oh, um, do I think Matilde Fidalgo? She did um, an octopus dish. Obviously, mm. she's Portuguese, so um, she has something a little bit different. Um, but to be fair, I've been quite surprised. They've all been... Uh, pretty interesting. Um, I think Caroline Weir's probably been the most boring. Hers was just pasta, pest, pasta and pesto. <laughs> not haggis. <laughs> That's no, very stereotypical. No, <laughs> I'm thinking. I'm thinking if if someone's managed to get a hold of octopus, then you know should, Caroline should be able to get a hold of some haggis. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I thought she'd have been more one of the inventive ones, but um, no, I think yeah, everyone's been really kind of surprised me actually on that front. Um, everyone's been inventive and. I think it's been really good for the group because I think, you know, we're, we're used to eating at training twice a day. So for us, it's difficult. We're spending a lot more time at home and obviously we have to um, cook a lot more. And I think for us as well, we've got to be mindful of what we're eating. So it's it's a great way to kind of keep interaction with everybody, um, but sharing the ideas as well. I mean, you guys seem to have quite a tight-knit group anyway, um, but has it helped team morale a little bit? Because th that is a worry, isn't it, that that could potentially be dented because you're not seeing each other day in, day out? Yeah, I mean, we, to be honest, when you see each other day in, day out, you, you probably do get sick of the sight of each other. <laughs> so it's, it's not necessarily a bad thing. And we've been having group meetings or um, chats. So obviously, we've got the WhatsApp groups going, so... 
we're always constantly in contact and I think the club have been pretty good in that sense as well in making sure we've all got exactly what we need and I think especially at the beginning they provided us with what bikes and weights and they've really helped facilitate our training programs that they've given us so from our point of view as players I think it's really helped um, obviously physically but also on the mental side as well it's made things slightly easier that we've been given some equipment which I think we're very lucky um, to have been provided with that. Yeah, you certainly are. I mean, I don't know if you've been listening to Women's Football Weekly, but we've certainly catalogued a number of players' concerns about the ability of getting hold of equipment and that clubs weren't able to get it out to them. And, you know, that does certainly show Manchester City is one of those clubs that, you know, the, the women's team are at the forefront of their of their minds. And it's crucial, you know, particularly with players who are in rehab as well, uh, to be able to continue uh, with their fitness programmes. Obviously, you know, conclusion of the season still very much up in the air at the moment. What are your thoughts and hopes about how it's all going to pan out? Yeah, I mean, obviously as players, like I said before, we just want to be on the pitch training and playing. Um, but I think at this time, football and training is almost irrelevant. Um, I think the, the problems and the suffering that people are going through um, right now is a lot more important. I think people's health is. So for us, of course, we want to get back on the pitch and we want to finish the season. But I think, I think everyone understands and is in agreement that we have to do it only when it's safe and possible to do so. So, I think from our point of view, we've just got to keep safe, keep healthy, looking after ourselves and controlling what we can in a sense of how we look after ourselves and everything we're doing at home um, to make sure that if and when it does uh, get back playing, that we're giving ourselves the best chance to um, obviously finish where we left off. Mm, you've been in the game a long time. I mean, uh, maybe rewind three, four years ago. Could you imagine a scenario where women's football was being spoken about in the same um, context as the Premier League and the EFL? Because you are at the table now. You know, the decisions about, you know, the FAWSL continuing are being discussed along with the Premier League and the EFL, which is crucial. Yeah, it is. I think for me it shows how far the game's come and for people to be speaking about women's football and men's football in the same regard and the same conversation, I think it shows the respect levels there. Um, so for us, we're, we're lucky that we've obviously got that now, but I think a lot of people and the players and people behind the scenes have put a lot of hard work to get to this point for the game. So I think it's important now that we, we do keep pushing it. Um, but obviously it shows that there is a level of respect there. And I think people are recognising women's football for what it is now. And I think it's, it's deserved that. And hopefully it only continues to get better. Yes, very well said. Um, Alan Mahon has uh, stepped into Nick Cushing's shoes pretty well, interim boss. Um, how has he got on? I know it's, it's such a shame. He's literally just got going and then this has all happened. Um, but, you know, obviously he was part of the coaching team before. But, you know, can you see him staying on and being head coach next season? Yeah, I mean, with Marnie, what you see is what you get. Um, obviously, like you say, he's had a great start. He's, I think, unbeaten, so... You know, it'll be quick to remind us of that. But for us, he, he obviously came in. Um, it all happened pretty quick. And his sole thing, what he always said, was he just wanted the continuity of the group. And I think it's been brilliant so far. Obviously, it was such a short time before all this happened. Um, but regards to whether he, he stays on or what happens, obviously, that's the club's decision. And... I'm sure, you know, they've shown in this period what, what a top club they are and I'm sure going forward they'll want to make the right appointment. Um, so whether that be him or someone else, I'm sure and I'm confident in the club that they'll make the best one. Yeah. Um, we always, when we talk to, to players when they come on, we always want to uh, talk a little bit more about them. And I'm hoping that, that when this is all over, you'll come into the studio here on Women's Football Weekly on Talk Sport 2 and sit down and properly talk about your career uh, with us. But obviously, you know, you got into women's football, you're, you're a Leeds lass, as they say. Uh, so it was a no brainer to start your career playing at Leeds United. Yeah. Obviously, I've, I've played for, from a very young age. Um, I started at Leeds United, obviously, when I was, I think I was about eight or nine. Um, so it's, I've always got fond memories from my time at Leeds. 
Um, I was there for a long time and I think anyone coming from Leeds, they're always proud to represent it. And that was no different for me. So I've I've definitely got great memories of, of being at the club from such a young age and all the way through to the first team. And after Leeds, Chelsea, you were at uni at the same time though, weren't you? So how did you juggle that? Yeah, I was I was at the university in Leeds. Um, obviously, like I just said, my time at Leeds ended disappointingly in terms of they with the license to enter the Super League was withdrawn. Mm. So obviously there was a lot of turnover of players and we all ended up leaving. And I think at that time I was I was still young. I was relatively inexperienced in, in terms of senior football and never really been in that situation in terms of Leeds was all I'd ever known. Um, so... I mean, with the support of my parents and a couple of close coaches and friends, I obviously had the decision to make as to where my next club was going to be. And I had a few options. Um, Obviously, Chelsea was one of those, but it was literally the furthest possible club I could have gone to (laughs) in terms of miles. And I think it was was a 430-mile round trip from door to door to get to training. So... It was a big decision, um, but at the time, it was probably my best option in terms of footballing, in terms of how I wanted to progress my career and the next stage for me. And I just remember at the time, my my parents always saying, forget about the distance, we'll make it work, but that's the best option you have, so I think you need to do it. And for me, I, I couldn't be more grateful or thankful for, um, obviously, the support that they showed me particularly at that time my dad would he would uh, pick me up from university obviously I'd be studying in the morning and we'd travel to London Um, my mum would have prepared all the food for us so we'd have the little pack ups in the car and I'd do my university work in the car on the way Um, obviously get to train and train and then come back so yeah we'd leave at about 2 o'clock in the afternoon and get back about 1 o'clock in the morning wow so, it was your dad's yeah. birthday yesterday, wasn't it? It was my dad's birthday yesterday. Oh, I bet you must be missing him. Oh, I am, but he got a lot of love on Twitter, so I was happy about that. <laughs> and do you know what? They they deserve it because uh, families don't get enough credit in in football for the sacrifices that they make to to make your careers work. And it sounds like your your dad did exactly that, and it and it paid off as well because you went to Merseyside and then won titles as a captain at Liverpool. Yeah, I mean, I, I do say that that moment and the, that kind of decision in my career in terms of going to Chelsea was probably a big one for me. Um, and I think the irony of it was there was one time I was on the way to training, on the way to London, and it was when I got my phone call for my first senior England call-up. So for me, having that phone call whilst I was in the car, which is obviously where I did spend <laughs> 80% of my time at that time. Um, it was it was kind of a relief, a relief in a way that it had been the right decision and it had helped me on my football path. Um, but obviously it was it probably wasn't a sustainable lifestyle that I was living at the time. So when the Liverpool opportunity came up, then it was something, obviously a project that they were starting to do in terms of um, they got a whole fresh new turnover of the squad in so for me at that time again I felt like it was the best opportunity and um, obviously it paid off in the especially in the first couple of years winning the back-to-back titles. Yeah absolutely Um, you touched on England there is it 11 caps you've got so far Um, I I mean I, I know you were part of the She Believes Cup for 2019 how important is it to you to to try and push your way back into Phil Neville's squad bearing in mind uh, that now we're likely to see not for definite we still haven't had confirmation from UEFA I seem to mention this every single week on on Women's Football Weekly but potentially the Euros in 2022 now and of course the Olympics now next year yeah I mean for me it's something that I'm always striving to play for England as much as I can and it's something that I'll never give up on um, for as long as I'm playing so for me, I feel like I'm in a good place at the moment. Um, I'm at, obviously, Manchester City and we're challenging at the top of the table and all I can do is focus on my performances and what I'm doing. And, yeah, I think it's 
it's an unbelievable moment and so proud every time you pull on the England shirt. So for me, it's yeah, it's something that I'll never give up on. I'll always keep pushing um, and I've just got to keep working hard and hopefully my, my time will come. Yeah, it certainly sounds like you've got the resilience to, to, to push, bearing in mind everything you, you've been through. I just wanted to mention a couple of points before I let you go. Your, your boyfriend's also an athlete, isn't he? Yeah, he is. He plays rugby league. Is it Wigan Warriors, Willie Iser, is that right? Yeah, that's right. So I saw you put on Twitter that you're not used to spending this much time together. So how has, how has lockdown been? Have you been able to help each other with uh, some training? Yeah, I mean, um, it was quite funny because we said before this, we'd, it was the Christmas just gone that we just managed to get five days holiday for the first time together. So now we've had... I think we're into five weeks lockdown together. <laughs> uh, uh, just finally, we're asking everyone here on Women's Football Weekly who their football childhood hero is and why. So who's yours, Gemma? I'll have to say it's Farrah Williams and Kelly Smith. I think growing up, um, obviously they were two of the most prominent players in the England team. And it was, obviously I'm, I'm quite good friends with Farrah now. Obviously I played with her at Liverpool, so... It's, it was quite a. Um, we always. I used to wind her up at the beginning and say, you know, you're my, you're my actual hero. Like you're not my friend. But I think I've I've got such respect for what she's achieved um, and what she's gone through off the pitch as well. And I think with Kelly Smith, she's probably one of the best ever English players to grace a football pitch. So um, I think it, I remember in I think it was 2013 with the Euros, me and Lucy Bronze, we always, in the lead up to that, our aim was to get into a senior squad with Kelly Smith in and obviously we, we were at the 2013 Euros tournament so to be in the same squad and to make the same England squad that was um, obviously a, a big thing after having such um, watching them growing up and being inspired by them. Oh, well, you picked two perfect ones there. We've had both of them in, in the studio on Women's Football Weekly as well. So we'll hope to get you in soon as well, Gemma, as well. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Good luck for the rest of the lockdown and hopefully we'll see you in London soon. Oh, great. Thank you very much. That was England and Manchester City defender Gemma Bonner there. You are listening to Women's Football Weekly on Talk Sport 2 with me, Faker Ruthers. Next, you can hear from another lioness, Leon defender Lucy Bronze, and we'll be speaking to some of you as well. Across the UK, online and on DAB Digital Radio, Women's Football Weekly on Talk Sport 2. Hello, you are listening to Women's Football Weekly on TalkSport 2 with me, Faker Ruthers. Over the past week, we've had many female footballers appearing on shows across the TalkSport network. You've already heard the thoughts of former England goalkeeper Rachel Brown-Finnis, but here's England and Lyon defender Lucy Bronze. She was speaking on Breakfast uh, last week about the impact of the coronavirus outbreak on the women's game. You know, with women's football kind of only really growing into its own the past couple of years, it could be really detrimental for not just the development on the pitch, but obviously for for the financial reasons off the pitch. You know, there's a lot of talk with, with things that happen around clubs and, you know, a lot of clubs do support their women's teams really well and try their best, so it, it could be it could be a bad thing. But at the moment, all the clubs are doing really great things. I think all, all players will want to finish the season, but ultimately the health comes first, doesn't it? Health of not just the players, but of the staff. It would be played behind closed doors. That would be pretty pretty obvious um, just to protect people's health. But I think ultimately the health comes first. But... I mean, I want to. I want to go and play today if I could. It's getting. It's getting a bit boring sitting at home and training on your own. Like Todd said, the motivation's getting difficult, but. You know, it's what we're paid to do. We're professional athletes, uh, so keep going. But I would love to love to get back on the pitch as soon as possible. Interesting thoughts there from Lucy Bronze. But what do you guys think? Let's find out and speak to Ali, who's a West Ham fan, and Paula, who's a Reading fan. Welcome to the show, both of you. Ali, we'll start with you. What have you been up to instead of uh, watching football? Um, not a lot, really. Um, just uh, lots of blogging, trying to find uh, what to uh, write about uh, instead of my usual travels. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It must be quite difficult. How have West Ham been with keeping in touch with the fans? 
West Ham have actually been really great. Like they've been sending out regular emails and stuff like that to the fans to let us know what we've been doing, and also uh, setting up little mini challenges for the little hammers. So that's been quite fun. Oh, that sounds like great fun. Uh, Paula, what about you? How, how have Reading been with you guys? Um, I'm, I've only really actually been following them on the website and, and, and the various fan scene sites. Um, but uh, as I'm um, actually chair of the supporters trust, I. I to actually get to talk to some of the guys running the club, so you know, I, I do get an inside line, which probably is uh, means I'm slightly better informed than some people might be. That's great. So, how are the how are the conversations going at Reading? Well, I mean, it's it's as everybody is that wanting to get on with it as soon as it's safe, but you know, we we don't know when that's going to be as yet. And I must admit, I'm, I'm really quite worried for the women team because. You know they're very definitely supported by the club. They they can't make um, well they make a loss every year. And, and next year we were looking forward to to actually playing a few more games at our own stadium because uh, London Irish are moving out, so we can we can actually have the women there a bit more. Really looking forward to that. So yeah, I, well, I fingers really crossed. It keeps going well. Fingers crossed that can that can still happen, Paula, uh, yeah. for sure. J- just finally, what are your thoughts on on the rest of rest of the season? Should it be you were listening to Lucy Bronze there? Should it be scrapped or do, for the integrity? Does it need to continue? Oh, I'd like I'd love to see it get finished. Um, even if it's behind closed doors, I'd much rather see it finished than than scrapped. I, that, that's that's so unsatisfactory from all sorts of points of view isn't it if we if if the hard work that's gone in so far just doesn't amount to anything yeah, yeah, couldn't couldn't agree more. I'm so sorry we don't have more time for you. We've completely run out here on Women's Football Weekly, which is always like us. I was about to say unlike us, but it's actually always like us. But I'd love to get you back on uh, again, both of you, Ali and Paula there, uh, West Ham and Reading fans. Um, but yes, this has been Women's Football Weekly with me, Faker Others. Many thanks to all of our guests, Molly Hudson, Brittle City manager Tanya Oxterby, England and Man City defender Gemma Bonner and our fans as well. Remember, we're now a podcast, so go and subscribe. It's on Spotify and iTunes. And next week, we're going to be speaking to Tottenham forward Gemma Davison. So tune in for that. Women's Football Weekly is here every Monday on TalkSport 2 from 6 until 7. Women's Football Weekly with Faker Others. It was a goal that set her career alive. On TalkSport 2. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.